The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. So you thought third base was loaded. What if I told you five shortstops are being drafted in the first two rounds more than any other infield position? It's pretty damn good. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today, Thursday, July 2nd, exactly three weeks away from opening day. Frank Stanfield here with Scott White and Chris Towers. Gentlemen, I want to jump right in. You heard me reference the early round shortstops just a second ago. Those names include Francisco Lindor, Trevor Story, Trey Turner, Alex Bregman, and Fernando Tatis Jr. Scott, who are you most likely to draft from that group first in a Roto League? In a Roto League, my first ranked of them is Trey Turner, just because the push for steals is so intense and the scarcity is so real that like, if to, to meet that category in a way that's um, that you can feel confident in, you, you basically have to reach for somebody. And at least in, in the case of Trey Turner, ranking him sixth overall like I do, it still feels like a reach, but at least it's a first-round caliber outcome that you're looking at there. He's one of the safest sources for steals. He's one of the most prolific sources of steals, and he contributes in other ways, which is the best way to go about getting steals as opposed to devoting a roster spot to a specialist that's going to bring you down elsewhere. Definitely not what you want at a time when power, keeping pace in the power categories is so important. Chris is also here. Chris, two days in a row, you're wearing a collared shirt, which you can see on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. Uh, what's going on, Chris? How are you doing? You know, this is, it's not as much of a novelty as the last couple of months have probably made it seem. It's just when you're lounging around your house, a t-shirt is more comfortable than a button-down shirt, especially like, look, Scott and Frank, you guys are you're skinny little things, so you probably don't understand <laughs> this, but I got a, I got a gut, and uh, you know, I have lost weight, and these shirts fit better. But there are still times when, you know, you're, you're, it's kind of causing some pressure. You feel like a sausage. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, T-shirts are generally, they, they breathe a little better. They got a little more flexibility. And so, uh, you know, when, when, you're, when you're going for comfort, the, the problem is I, we haven't done laundry in a while. And so I'm out of T-shirts is actually what's happening. So did you uh, <laughs> drop your laundry off today? Bougie, Chris? I, I, no, I had my laundry picked up. Oh, yes. even more bougie. I am one of those people. Wow. I have my laundry. Someone comes to my house and I just leave my laundry outside the door in the hallway and they, I don't even have to look at someone. Wow. It is a phenomenal service. All right, and Chris. Well, let me ask yeah. you a fantasy baseball related question. All right. I guess we'll talk about <laughs> I guess that. we'll do that. <laughs> Should Trey Turner start to creep into the top five group, meaning Ronald Acuna, Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, 
Mookie Betts, and Cody Bellinger in a Roto League. I saw some NFBC draft results last night where he went second overall. That was a draft that was being taken, uh, that was going on last night. Is that something you think should actually happen now in a shortened season? Uh, I think there is generally a consensus that you should pay up for steals in a shortened season. I'm not 100% sure. You know, as at least the elite steal, stolen base mm-hmm. uh, yeah. are options. And I think the the idea is that you will be less able to rely on the 15 to 20 stolen base guys than normally. I'm I'm not 100% sure if that's true. Like, I don't know if their stolen bases are bunchier uh, than, you know, the 60 steal guys. You know, we see sometimes guys will have 12 steals in a month and then four. So I, I think they're still not 100% sold on that idea, but Four is a lot more than zero, I think is yeah, the, the sure. idea there. And a 15 sure. to 20 steel guy might only give you zero, one, two. That's, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but I do think generally Trey Turner's being a little underrated this year. And like to a certain, like he's the third shortstop off the board, but it's eight, nine, 10 overall. However, his ADP is 10.2, his actual average, whereas Francisco Lindor's is 7.6. I don't get the argument for Francisco Lindor over um, Trey Turner. Like, I guess Lindor is a five category contributor, although, you know, I would say Trey Turner definitely beats him in one by a lot. And I think in batting average, you still feel safer with Trey Turner than Francisco Lindor. It's at least a toss up. Yeah. Uh, Runs should be pretty close. Uh, that is one place Lindor absolutely does stand out, but you know Trey Turner's a a leadoff hitter and a good offense too. So I I just I think Trey Turner gives you the more scarce skills, and if you're looking to take someone outside of that top five and really top six slash seven with Degrom and Cole, he should be the first guy. And I think you I think there's a gap between him and those guys, but I think he should be the first shortstop off the board. In Roto. And even the RBI are trending down for Francisco Lindor. Just 74 RBI last year, and he was the leadoff hitter. As of now, Roster Resource still has Francisco Lindor projected to hit leadoff again for this team. So we spoke about this yesterday with Chris Bryant. The RBI might just not be there for Lindor or Trey Turner. So if you look at it that way, uh, I think they're even a little bit closer. And the steals kind of tip the favor, um, tip them in, in the favor of Trey and- Turner. The other thing you got to keep in mind, the addition of the DH actually does tip things in Trey Turner's favor a little more. It's, you know, it's going to be a marginal difference, but he should get more plate appearances and more uh, run producing opportunities because that lineup's going to turn over more. And the chances of having, I mean, either a starting pitcher or, uh, you know, a pinch hitter and a pinch hitter is usually not someone who's actually all that good of a hitter. You know, he's going to have more opportunities to bat with runners on base. And so I, I could see a situation where, you know, that gap even shrinks for it. In head-to-head points leagues, things are a little bit different here, Scott. Uh, here's where each of these players went in our most recent mock that we did last week. Alex Bregman went eighth overall to me. Yay, congrats to me. Francisco Lindor went ninth. Trevor Story went 19th. Trey Turner went 32nd in a head-to-head points league also to me. And then Fernando Tatis Jr. went 38th overall. So if I told you, Scott, that you could get either Bregman or Lindor in the first, Trevor Story in the second, or one of Trey Turner or Fernando Tatis in the third in a points league, who would you want most from that group at, at those values? I would want Bregman. 
I would want Bregman. I think he is. I think in this format, you could rank him right up there with the the super elite top five hitters. And in fact, I actually put him ahead of one of them in a points format. I put him ahead of uh, Ronald Acuna because uh, I mean Bregman walked. 36 times more than he struck out last year. Like a one-to-one ratio is great. And he was just ridiculous. Like, yeah. I mean, the best example of play discipline maybe in the entire league right now. Uh, so even if, you know, even if that 41 Homer pace is a little uh, too good to be true and he's more like a 30 to 35 home run guy over a full season. I, I mean, that, that play discipline advantage is going to make him, one of the obvious stud hitters in the head-to-head points format. He was, uh, in terms of head-to-head points per game just last year, he was, let's see, Yelich was ahead of him, Trout was ahead of him, Rendon was actually ahead of him, and so Bregman was fourth. He was he was even ahead of Bellinger and Betts. Chris, what if I eliminated Alex Bregman from that group? Would you rather have Lindor in the first, Story in the second, Trey Turner in the third, or Fernando Tatis also in the third in a points league? Uh, there's actually no question on this one for me. I, I think it's Trey Turner. Why does he go so late in the points league? He still averaged 3.8 fantasy points per game last year, which was tied with Fernando Tatis. It was tied with Marcus Semien, tied with Bogarts, better than Story, better than Lindor. I don't understand why Trey Turner gets dinged so much in a points league. To, to make an analogy, you know, there, there was, I can't remember which player I was talking about. It might've been Paul Goldschmidt where, you know, we take the former greatness that he had. We were talking about this the other day. You take the former greatness that he had and you hold it against him for what he is now. And so, you know, maybe there's a tendency to underrate guys like that. I think there's a similar kind of mental exercise going on. I'm not sure what, what the right way to put that is, but basically I think people look at Trey Turner and they think he is a stolen base guy, which means he is a roto specialist. And I think that can tend to lead to him being undervalued in a points league because guess what stolen bases count for points too mm-hmm. uh two of them right yeah and and the standard it ends yeah. there are some head there are probably a decent number of head-to-head points leagues out there that only award one point per stolen base instead of the cbs standard two and so obviously that would change the math there but yeah and head in terms of head-to-head points per game turner was number two at this position behind bregman he was ahead of story he was ahead of lindor uh it was close between those three and turner has had years where his point per game average was was certainly lower than what Story and Lindor contributed last year. So I don't think it's like he should obviously be the second guy off the board, but he's but definitely top five. His twenty seventeen was twenty nineteen Bregman esque in points per game, wasn't it? Yeah, twenty seventeen was also a great year. And it was uh, a shortened season, but you know, I yeah. think he sort of gets short shrift a little bit as a hitter. Um you know, he doesn't walk a ton, but he doesn't strike out much either. He's got an above average contact rate, but he's like, he's a career 291 hitter and he's going to give you probably 20 to 25 home runs uh, in a you know 162 game season. And so like, he's a better hitter than I think he gets credit for. In addition to being one of the few 50 steel uh, potential guys, which matters for points too. Scott, the only first-round shortstop we haven't really talked about yet is Trevor Story. And last year, there were only two players who had both 70 home runs and 50 steals. Oh, actually, over the past two seasons, there are only two players that have done that, Trevor Story and Christian Yelich. Is there really any downside to drafting Trevor Story, or 
is he just like lumped in the mix with all these other guys? His strikeouts are far and away the worst of this group. Um, you know, for the most part, I'm I'm confident in story. He validated his 2018 breakout by actually keeping the strikeout rate much lower than it was at the start of his career. You know, as bad as the strikeouts are now, they used to be much worse. And it seems like with the advantages of Coors Field and, and the kind of contact he makes, he can get away with the strikeout rate he has now. But it's still not a good thing. It still presents a level of downside that maybe some of these other hitters don't have. Um, and also the stolen bases for him are just a two-year trend. So you you never know how long that's going to last. Most players, unless speed is like their primary skill, they don't run forever. So those would be the concerns for story. You're asking me to, to, to make kind of a downside case for him. That's what I'd say, but yeah, there, there should be a lot more confidence in story heading into this season than there was last year because he's basically proven himself twice over now. Somebody who I think we might be a little bit more legit, legitimately concerned over is Fernando Tatis Jr., who is going in the second round in ADP. And I really consider him the wild card for fantasy this season because he might have more upside than that first group that we just talked about. He averaged 3.8 fantasy points per game last year, and he had 22 home runs with 16 steals in 84 games last season. That's a 150-game pace of 39 home runs and 28 steals. Does he legitimately have more upside than that first group that we talked about, Chris? In a Roto League, I don't think there's any question. Fernando Tatis is the highest upside player at shortstop. Um, I, I think depending on how bullish you are on Wander Franco's potential, I think Fernando Tatis has more upside than anyone playing shortstop in organized baseball right now, uh, at least for Roto fantasy. Um, you know, players who can go 30-30 are really rare and we could be talking about fernando tatis like he was 20 last year he did that <laughs> it's crazy like, as as much as we have skepticism about what he did the strikeout rate was way too high he won't sustain the babbit etc etc all of those things are true he had a 260 uh 259 expected batting average 490 expected slugging percentage much lower than what he actually produced well for one thing he did have an elite barrel rate uh, 91st percentile, one of the best in the league, 95th percentile on sprint speed, well above average or above average at least and often well above average in every other uh, quality of contact measurement by uh, baseball savant. And, you know, as we were talking about with Keston here the other day, if the plate discipline takes a step forward, uh, if he strikes out less, you know, you're, you're talking about, yeah, a guy who could be the best player in fantasy, you know, th this, I don't draft him at this cost, and I don't think I have all year. But there's a decent chance that looks really, really dumb. There's a decent, I think, a better chance that drafting him at that price looks not great. Uh, but you can't talk about Fernando Tatis without acknowledging that, you know, he could be what Ronald Acuna is this time next year. Scott, I'm about to take you on a little trip down a slippery slope here. And okay. Fernando Tatis, for me, I think is very similar to Javier Baez, where I think that there are just players that can outproduce their underlying stats and their underlying analytics because they are that gifted 
athletically. I've been waiting for years now for Javier Baez to just fall off because of his lack of plate discipline, and it hasn't happened because he's that good of an athlete. I think Fernando Tatis might just be in that same group as Javier Baez, but the problem is you have to pay a pretty substantial price to find out at least this season. Yeah, you're you're wagering a lot on that that hunch. And uh, it's a more extreme inver- version of Baez if it's true. Baez isn't putting up a 410 Babbitt like right. Fernando Tatis did last year. Baez doesn't have an expected batting average of uh what was it for Baez? Like 259. 259 for Tatis. Yeah, for a guy who actually hit 317 again bolstered by that 410 Babbitt. So, like basically every way Tatis excelled last year you could undermine it with a statistic of some kind. His strikeout rate was one of the worst in baseball. Uh, his ground ball rate was one of the highest in baseball. He didn't elevate like a power hitter at all. I mean, that that's a danger that gets under mentioned here. And even the, the steals potential, uh, you know, like I was saying earlier for, for story, a middle of the order type bat, like those guys don't run forever, generally speaking. And, and when they stop running, it's impossible to say at one point in their career, their teams are just like, ah, eh, we don't want that from you anymore. Uh, or, or sometimes it might be the player himself says, I don't want to risk my health that way. Uh, Tatis suffered two catastrophic, not catastrophic, that's too, that's too strong. He suffered two injuries last year that were style of play type injuries. So he's, you know, kind of an injury risk there. And when you look at the stolen bases, they dropped off toward the end of the season and it, and it didn't correspond to the injuries he suffered. It wasn't like he returned from this injury and suddenly he stopped running. He just kind of stopped running at the end of the year. And so are we even sure he's going to contribute that anymore? So I worry about the batting average. I worry about uh, the, the home run and steals to, to a certain degree. It's possible he takes a step forward. I am very impressed by what he was able to do as a 20 year old, but the, the bottom line is you're having to pay up for that in a way that doesn't really acknowledge any of the downside. And like, this is not the year to do that with hitters. There are too many great ones out there for you to, uh, to gamble that way with, with such a valuable pick. It's fair to say that both of you guys are not likely to draft Fernando Tatis at his current ADP. Correct. I, I'm more likely to draft him in a points league because like, yeah, cause he falls to the third or fourth round. Yeah. Sometimes even later, sometimes yeah. even later. And like, Points per game, he was behind just Bregman, Turner, and Bogarts last year. He was ahead of story in Lender too. So if we're if we're saying okay, this is legitimately Tat- who Tatis is, one format is requiring a second round pick, one is like a fourth or fifth round pick. Then you know I'm, I'm actually more likely to draft him in a points league. Round three in ADP, Glaber Torres going at pick twenty nine. Spoke about him yesterday, not yesterday, a couple of days ago on the second base preview. Uh, Javier Baez thirty two point eight, and Xander Bogarts at thirty three point six. Scott, do you target anyone from this group at all? I mean, I, I actually love Javier Baez for Roto, and I love Bogarts for head-to-head, but something you're going to find out consistently throughout this show is that I can say that about every group of ADP for shortstop, <laughs> is that I can find a player that I love in every group. Scott, do you love anyone in this group? <sighs> no, not, not really. Uh, shortstop, I feel like, is structured much like third base. There are a lot of elite options. There are a ton of near elite options. 
Uh, it drops off faster than third base. That would be the biggest difference. But kind of what I said on the third base preview, if you listen to that one, is it's just like we're we're entering the tier now that I think is so large, I don't care to pay up for anybody in it. I think maybe you could make a case that uh, Bogarts could be upgraded in a points league because you know I mentioned he was he was right behind uh, uh, Bregman and and. Trey Turner and head-to-head points per game last year. And he has a plate discipline advantage over most of this group that obviously excels in that format. But, you know, there are questions as to whether or not his power output was legitimate last year. And there are reasons you could downgrade him as well. And then this tier, I don't know if you've listed their names, but Adalberto Mondesi, Jonathan Biard includes two major steel specialists that you might have to single out in the rotisserie league for, for, or head-to-head categories league for that categorical need. Uh, But just in terms of, overall uh projected overall output like this tier is huge i i'm very reluctant to reach into it uh i'd rather be focusing on something else like starting pitcher most likely but really really any other position but third base and shortstop chris as much as i love xander bogart for head-to-head points leagues he averaged 3.8 fantasy points per game last year that was the same amount as marcus Semyon, somebody who we will get to later on but if you put their numbers side by side, even their StatCast numbers, Bogarts and Simeon were very, very similar players. Why wouldn't you just wait the four or five rounds and take Marcus Simeon instead of Bogarts? Well, for as much as 2020 was a career season for Xander Bogarts, it was a much bigger outlier for Marcus Simeon. Xander Bogarts plays in, I think, a comparable lineup, maybe a slightly worse one, but a much better park. Um Xander Bogarts is one of the one of the worst players to have to try to analyze uh, <laughs> as a fantasy analyst because every year he seems to get better and every year it's on the back of something unsustainable and it just never seems to matter that what he is doing is unsustainable because yeah. he just the next year he always seems to add some new skill. Um, and that can't happen forever. Uh, at some point, there will be uh, a plateau. But I don't know, man. It, it's really hard to just out and out say that he won't repeat what he did last year or he won't. Like, he'll be a really, really good fantasy option somehow, some way. It probably won't look the way it did last year because it never does from one mm-hmm. year to the next for Xander Bogarts. But, I mean, we're going on four years in a row of at least 94 runs or RBI, and it alternates seemingly every year, yeah. as, to highlight the case. Uh, 21, 10, 23, 33 home runs over that, that span. Uh, it, he hits for a good average every year. He won't be as good as he was last year. I'm fairly confident in that. Especially in the right. power. Beyond yeah, I, that... The power profile didn't really change from 23 to 33 home runs. It was just like the kind the kind yeah. of contact he made was basically the same. Yeah, I mean, the home run to fly ball ratio actually wasn't that much higher. Yeah, you know, he did lift the ball more. 15.5% in 2018 to 16.7%. Now, that is sort of overstating the case a little bit, and I think it's often confusing or it doesn't illuminate things as well as it might to just use home run to fly ball ratio because 
you know, his fly ball ratio rate did jump from 35.6 to 39.8%. Half of that just came from line drives, which that's kind of fluky. Like, you know, it could just be, you know, something that fluctuates. I mean, line drive rate is something that fluctuates drastically year to year, uh, more than probably any other batted ball stat. And so, you know, the home run to fl- t- the home run to ball in the air ratio is probably a little higher than it seems relative to 2018. But that being said, like it wasn't a huge outlier. I'm probably the only person who is likely to draft Javier Baez on this podcast, at least. And I just want to remind people that he was the third best shortstop just two years ago in 2018, where he was a top 10 player in Roto Leagues. Uh, And last year, over 155 game pace, he was on pace for 32 home runs, 100 runs scored, 95 RBI, and 12 steals. Since the start of 2018, his 865 OPS is fourth highest at the shortstop position. Uh, any quick retort? Because I know you guys are not <laughs> likely to draft Javier Baez. I, I mean, the biggest thing is I think there's a presumption of more stolen bases here than are probably here. He, he had 21 in 2018. You know, normally he's around a dozen, 10 to 12, and that's what he regressed to last year. And, like, he's a bad base deal. He was 21 for 30 yeah. that year. He was 11 for 18 last year so he probably should actually run less than he does and and so you halfway expect that's going to happen one of these years and it's just like that's enough for me to say he's not really special among this group he's just another guy that some people are treating as more but he also has more downside i feel like than most of this group because his profile depends on an outlier home run to fly ball rate and an outlier babip and i know you said but he's just know, done it for been so long enough right? Right, that yeah. you can trust he and and I I agree with that, but if you're if you're still factoring in a player's worst ca- case scenario, his 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 is worse because it's it's hard to sustain that kind of outlier production from year to year. So I I, I think that's worth mentioning. Anything from you, Chris? Or are you good there? I agree. Rounds four to six. You mentioned some of these names already here, Scott Adalberto Mondesi, forty four point six going in round four. Jonathan VR. At pick 53, Manny Machado at pick 57 in round five. And then in round six, you have Bo Bichette going off the board at pick 67. All right, Scott, the question of the day. What the hell do we do with Adalberto Mondesi? Because I know last year, he's someone that you were all in on and you were yeah. very excited about. And I Looked will just say, we spoke yeah. about Trey Turner potentially being you know, elevated because of his ability to win the steals category this season. Well, last year... Over a 150-game pace, Adalberto Mondesi would have had 63 steals. And in the first 60 games last season, he had 22 stolen bases. The next closest was Tim Anderson with 15. So if you want to talk about league-winning potential in that category, it is Adalberto Mondesi, Scott. What do we do? I mean, he's the odds-on favorite to lead the majors in steals. He should be, so let's just... Let's just put that aside. You're, you're going to get a ton of steals from Adalberto Mondesi at a time when that's the most valuable commodity in, in a Roto League. It's just what else are you going to get? Is he more like, is he more like Trey Turner or is he more like Malik Smith? Because you're paying closer to a Trey Turner price for him. And uh, it's really hard to say. He's coming back from a torn labrum in his shoulder, so that right there is a problem. Uh, you know, 
it, it, it's, it's a risk factor. And then like you look at the entirety of his career uh, and he profiles more as the guy he was for the last 46 games last year, hitting 233 with a 597 OPS than for that stretch at the end of 2018 and the beginning of 2019, when it looked like he was developing as a hitter, dropping his strikeout rate, making better quality contact. You know, he kind of regressed after those first two months last year into the guy he always was. And like at some point, you just have to wonder if that's the guy he's always going to be. He's only 24. He's shown these flashes of something more. Maybe. I have some shares of Mondesi because like it's just such a relief to have stolen bases taken care of at that stage of the draft and not have to you know, not have to go out of your way for them so much later on for, for lower quantities and less assured quantities than what Mondesi is going to give you. But, like, there's a very good chance he doesn't live up to his ADP, even acknowledging that. Glass half full, while he did have surgery back in October, I think the delay of the season is something that actually helps Adalberto Mondesi. There was some doubt as to whether or not he would be ready for the original opening day. I think these... You know, past couple of months off are something that have actually helped Adalberto Mondesi. Chris, when it comes to Bo Bichette, a very, maybe not very polarizing player, but I think somewhat because people are excited about the upside and, you know, of course has the prospect pedigree and the second generation player and he's part of that whole group with the Toronto Blue Jays. What is the upside? Paint, give me the upside and the downside for Bo Bichette this season. Uh, the upside is a 30 homer pace and a and probably the upside's Trevor Story. I know that's 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 a comp I went with with uh Yohan Mankati yesterday, but you know, you look at Bobachet's profile, you know, he is fast. He wasn't an effective efficient base runner last season, but you're talking about small sample size. Um so I think you can kind of throw that out. Uh, yeah, I think you could be looking at someone who hits close to 300 with 30 homers and 20 steals, you know, pace. Um the downside is he's, I mean, not sent back and not taken off the roster, but he's not, he doesn't produce enough to play every day. Um, I think that's less likely for a team like the Blue Jays, but, you know, it, it's not totally out of the question. They did that with Lourdes Gurriel last season when he wasn't performing. And so, you know, the, the risk with any young player is that they will, you know, take a step back or get overmatched or, you know, it, it seems less likely to happen for someone like Bobachet because he is not a high strikeout rate guy. He was actually pretty close to average last season. Um, but, you know, there's there's always that risk. Like, he didn't stand out as anything special at the major league level in terms of quality of contact. I, and so, you know, maybe it's a situation where the over, underlying numbers are less uh, impressive than the raw stats look. I love the idea of Bo Bichette better than it turns out. I actually love Bo Bichette because like he's first of all, he's Dante Bichette's son, which, you know, the you name know Bichette, get, the name who doesn't get enough love. Griffin Conine. Oh, we get yeah. some love for second generation Blue Jays. <laughs> yeah, prospect, another Blue Jays, Griffin second Conine. generation Blue Jay. Okay. Yeah, no, I, that's that's true. I but Grudzalonic uh, as well. But Bichette, I mean, it was always a fun name to say. He was just a fun player with his little, like, fist pump thing, you know? And, like, Bo Bichette has this long, glorious, flowing hair. He has this swing that, like, really, like, 
mechanism. Like he really loads up. Like it's yeah. just, it's an interesting. Like, jo- like Josh Donaldson. Yeah. And he looks a lot like Josh Donaldson. And like, I, I think there's huge upside with that, but like the, the minor league track record was inconsistent. I don't know how much of a base stealer he's going to end up being. I think pretty good, but it's, it's hard to say. And uh, I don't know. 65th overall just seems like a bit much for a guy who's so unproven. I, I think he's more likely to live up it, to it than Tatis is to live up to 19th overall. I do, but I still see Marcus Simeon there at 83rd, Carlos Correa going 94th overall, even Corey Seager 127th. And I'm just like, why would I, why would I spend, why would I pay a premium for Bichette? Sometimes he goes a lot later, but 65th overall on average, that's really high. Yeah, I'm exactly with you there, Scott. And you kind of led us into our next group of ADP, but rounds 8 through 10, you know, Semyon 83rd off the board, Carlos Correa 94th, and then Tim Anderson at 109. If you ask me, I would rather have just straight up, if they're both on the board together, in a points league, I would take Semyon over Bo Bichette, and in a roto league, I would take Tim Anderson over Bo Bichette as well. So, and, and they're both going after him. So to me, that's... I think, he's being, I think he's being overvalued. I think Bobachet's yeah. being overvalued. Yeah, I'm with you on Simeon. I'm not with you on Tim Anderson. I don't think Tim Anderson is is nearly the steals threat that so many presume him to be. He only has 120 steal season. 120 steal season, much less anything more, you know? And uh, the batting average last year, I mean, he won the batting title. He He overachieved, as you'd expect for any player who who wins a batting title, like the, the the peripherals aren't going to support the actual number he ends up at. But it does seem like he legitimately proved his 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 uh, his hitting. His XBA was over 290. That's still really good. And uh, he changed his approach on breaking balls, I think it was, to, to back up that kind of improvement. But, you know, 290 hitting, hitter with 2020 upside... It's good. At this position, it's it's pretty it's pretty ordinary. I feel like Bichette has more upside. Simeon demonstrated more upside last year. Um, so I don't know. And then obviously if you if you're talking about a points league, Tim Anderson just doesn't walk at all. Oh, do not draft him in a points league. You can't do it. Yeah, not as a starter. Not as a starter. A three percent walk rate last year for Tim Anderson. It just yeah. makes it so tough in a points league. But Scott, look, a 300 hitter with a 2020 pace in round 10, I think that's a pretty good player. Someone who should hit near the top of the White Sox lineup, a lineup I, I would, expect to be one of the best. But like, look, at the, say, look at the outcomes of all the hitters going around. So, so here's what I would say. I agree with Scott that he doesn't stand out at shortstop. I also think he's being undervalued or at least overlooked. Like, I feel like a lot of people just won't even consider him at his cost, but he is he whether he can sustain last year's gains or not is the question but what he did last year was legitimate for the most part you know he's not going to hit 335 again okay you should always bet on the person who wins a batting title having a lot of regression coming the next year that's not really you know it's that's not really valuable information Yeah. yeah um but he legitimately did take a step forward as a hitter he was a much better hitter last season than he ever has been uh, you know, cut the strikeout rate to a career low, career high hard hit rate by a long shot. Um, and I guess part of the part of it for me is 
if you're buying Luis Robert uh, for 2020, you should probably be more interested in Tim Anderson than you are. Because if you're buying Luis Robert this season, you're doing so with the assumption that he's going to steal bases. If he doesn't, that's a really risky profile. And if they're letting Luis Robert run, they're probably going to let Tim Anderson run. Like that would probably represent something of an organizational shift in how they approach base stealing. And they've talked about that. They talked about that in spring, that they want to be more aggressive on the base pass. Yeah, especially, you know, Tim Anderson and uh, Yon Mankata, that's going to be the one-two of the lineup. And they talked about, I'm blanking on the White Sox manager's name uh, right now, but um, yeah, they they talked about... Rick Renteria. Rick Renteria. He (laughs) talked about... uh, about wanting to, you know, letting those guys be a little more aggressive. And, you know, Tim Anderson's got the ability to be a 35 steel guy. It's just whether he's going to have the opportunity. Um, so I think there is a little more upside there. Um, yeah. End of sentence. <laughs> Scott, in a shortened season, are you more or less likely to draft Carlos Correa, who has dealt with these chronic injuries to his his back, his oblique, his neck, just basically his core and his upper body. So are you more likely to do it in a 60-game season, or do you think that actually helps him, you know, stay healthy for, you know, in a a shorter period of time? I think any risks to a player's playing time uh, should be respected more in a 60-game season because there's so little time to contribute to begin with. I, I don't know that Carlos Correa is somebody I'm specifically moving up or down. Carlos Correa is one I, I really struggle with because like, he's still in the prime of his career. He's only 25. Jeez. Yeah. He's got his whole prime ahead of him. And yet there's this feeling that he's already beginning to regress because of those back issues. Um, you know, in terms of per game production, he was right in between Lindor and Bichette last year and, and fan and head to head points per game. Anyway. Yeah. That's, that, that's so, what I was going to say is that perception doesn't act is not actually backed up. by. And anything. yet there's been a lot of back and forth and there's been a lot of mistimed to back issues and back issues yeah. can just plague a guy for his entire career. And like, it's, I want, I want to want Carlos Correa more than I do because I feel like it's a great value for a guy we thought was going to be a first or second rounder for a decade, you know, but I see I'm more, it's I'm more likely to take Marcus Simeon right before he goes off the board or Corey Seager a little after he goes on the board than to take the plunge on Carlos Correa. That's just the way it's been working out. I just drafted Carlos Correa 88th overall in a slow draft that I'm doing. I'm waiting for my next pick to come back, but that was, I was between hopefully nobody, uh, who's in this draft is listening to this podcast right now uh, as we record, because I'll have picked by the time it's out. Uh, Carlos Correa at 88th, and I'm hoping Josh Bell's back at 93rd. And I was debating which one was more likely to make it back. And, you know, hopefully I made the right choice. Uh, But I do like Carlos Correa. It's sort of a conundrum uh, how to handle what, what the impact of the shortened season would be on your quote unquote injury prone players, because on the one hand, each missed game counts for about two and a half as much as it would in a normal season. Uh, sorry, there's a motorcycle. Yeah, somebody revving up over there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, where I'm do you live, Chris? To, yeah, I'm just there. There are lots of motorcycles in this part of Williamsburg. I don't know why. Um, and uh, oh, so every game, missed game, obviously, is more impactful. It hurts you more. 
On the other hand, there are fewer opportunities to get hurt. So that's a good thing. Like that, that's a, it, I'm, I kind of say that as a joke, but it's an objectively good thing. Like every game is an opportunity for a player to get hurt and every training and every time they wash the dishes, apparently, as we <laughs> learned with Jose Quintana today, I uh, don't want to make light of that, but you know, you can get hurt any, any number of ways. Carlos Correa got hurt getting a massage. Uh, I think yeah, that was, what I mean, was. so he says, and uh, so, but you know, games are the biggest risk. And the fewer games there are, the fewer opportunities there are going to be to get hurt. And there are an adequate number of days off during this season. I think it's actually a little bit higher than your typical 66-day stretch in Major League Baseball. And so, uh, you know, I'm drafting Carlos Correa a lot. I I think there's no – he's just like Giancarlo Stan. I don't think there's any question he's going to produce if he's healthy. And so at some point he's being dinged too much for – the lot for the injury history. Chris, yes or no answer. Would you draft Giancarlo Stanton and Carlos Correa on the same team in 2020? Uh, my current team has... Yes or no, Carl- Chris. <laughs> yeah, Carlos Correa, Anthony Rendon, Mike Trout, Giancarlo Stanton, Patrick Corbin, and Aaron Nola. So yeah, I've, I've done it. At so- least two of them. I can't remember the third name, but yes, I would draft that player as well. <laughs> Scott, you are the Marcus Simeon truther here. You have 30 seconds to tell us why you love Marcus Simeon. Go. Oh, geez. Marcus Simeon, like from the beginning last year, it was clear this guy had was different. The plate discipline was much improved, both strikeouts and walks. Um, and that was something he was known for in the minors as well. And then in the second half, it really took off because he stopped hitting ground balls. It was all line drives and fly balls, and his production soared to MVP level. So he was a guy, Marcus Simeon, where he started starts out, and you're thinking, I've never seen it from this guy before. He's not going to be able to sustain Thirsty. it. And then kind of like Cattell Marte, it just got better and better as the season went on. I buy it. Thirsty. There you go. I was cutting you off there. You went eight seconds over, but... Not bad, Scott. All right, let's take a quick break. Promote real quickly. uh, Join our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group. Just go on Facebook, search Fantasy Baseball Today. Uh, A lot of interesting conversations. Scott answering questions. I'll be in there answering some questions. Chris is in there answering questions as well. You're trying to find a league for this season. I know we have a lot of people that are talking about joining leagues together. So again, join our Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook group over when we come back, we will have our sleepers, breakouts, and busts at the shortstop position. You are watching Fantasy Baseball Today and listening, by the way. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball Today. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts at the shortstop position. Scott, why don't you get started with a sleeper at shortstop? I'm going to time you for a minute. 
Uh, sleeper at shortstop. I am going to go with uh, with Dansby Swanson as my sleeper shortstop. He was looking like he was breaking out last year. I mean, he was right up there with uh, with guys like Marcus Simeon and and guys guys who at the position were beginning. We were beginning to notice the position was overloaded with startable talent, but then. He had a couple injuries last year, Dansby Swanson, that set him back. I know Heel was one of them, and he just he wasn't the same when he got back from him. His numbers cratered, but you know you look at his numbers before that, and they were basically must start at the position. They were kind of like a poor man's Corey Seager, I guess. Uh, you know, considering Corey Seager, I'm I'm fumbling my way through this, and I'm sorry. <laughs> but Dansby Swanson. Former first overall pick, still only 26, showed real strides last year. And if he hadn't got injured, I think we'd already view him as a must-start player. I love uh, it. Dansby Swanson, to me, is the cheat code at shortstop. If you miss out on everything else, he's my breakout pick, actually. Dansby Swanson, through his first 85 games last year, was hitting 269 with an 815 OPS before he injured his foot heel. Uh, that was a 150-game pace of 26 homers, 97 runs, 91 RBI, 12 steals. He's in a great lineup. Go. I am with you. I think Dansby Swanson yeah. is a breakout pick, and he's going at 260 in ADP. If you miss out on Nobody everyone else, him. Dansby Swanson is the guy. Thank you for making the case better than I did. <laughs> Chris, a sleeper at shortstop. You're on the clock with a minute. There's a lot of them. Uh, just... For reference to say, Carter Keyboom is not eligible at shortstop in CBS Fantasy. He is. He is. He actually starts with shortstop shortstop eligibility and will gain third base early on. Carter Keyboom. A lot of what Scott said uh, for Dansby Swanson, uh, you know, in terms of the pedigree and then the minor league track record, he was a very good uh, player in the minors, struggled for what, 14 games, 11 games last season when he got called up. uh, And he got called up sort of. In a, you know, I don't want to say rushed, but, you know, it was not certainly part of the plan. You know, he got called up because Trey Turner was hurt. And so, you know, he may have been overexposed or he may just not have had time to get used to the rhythms of playing in Major League Baseball. You know, that stuff matters as much as we, you know, can't quantify it. And ultimately, it's just a bet on talent. And it's a bet on a, an extremely cheap talent uh, at 328.6 in ADP. Carter Keyboom, you know, could be a 30 homer uh, guy with a good batting average. It's the, it's a very good bat. The profile reminds me of Xander Bogarts, actually. I, I think that's I think that's the best case outcome for Carter Keyboom, and people are totally underselling it just because he came up for two weeks last year and was awful early last year when he barely had any time at AAA. And, you know, it's unfair. It's unfair. That's so. I I think I think I made a category error there with Dansby Swanson looking over the shortstop position. Like part of the the downside of having so many awesome options there is there's just not room for many players to break out anymore because you know they're all the players filling that spot are already so good. So Dansby Swanson. Yeah, I'm going to go with Carter Keyboom as my sleeper, too. And I'm going to be like you, Frank, and go with Dansby Swanson as the breakout. Yeah. A lot I, of consensus. I, you know what? Version. Sometimes it's all right to agree, guys, because I love the Carter Keyboom call as well. His ADP is 328. Mm-hmm. We mentioned Swanson at 262. 
Carter Keboom, 328. So sleeper for both Chris and Scott, Carter Keboom, and the breakout for Scott is Dansby Swanson. Chris, who is your breakout at the shortstop position? Uh, it's someone we all like a lot, and I don't know if anybody else is going to pick him, but Corey Seager. Um, yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about how last season, you know, April was really tough for him. He was coming back from Tommy John surgery and a hip surgery that kind of wrecked his 28, well, totally wrecked his 2018 season. And, uh, you know, I'm actually looking at a report from Ken Gurnick of MLB.com. And uh, he pointed out the Seager on display this spring was different, healthy, ready to play, and stronger than at any point last year. Also sounded more confident in his body, and it showed on the field. Corey Seager is, uh, like, pretty close to a double-plus hit tool kind of guy. You know, it's we make the comp to Freddie Freeman all the time, and it's a really, you know, you compare the first – you know, their pre-20, age 26 careers, it's pretty similar. Not a ton of over-the-fence power, but just really good hitters. If he makes a leap as a power hitter, you know, we could be talking about him, another guy like Car- Carlos Correa, who we used to think was going to be a first or second rounder for a decade. Like, the, the thing is, the reason I can't call Corey, because I love Corey Seager. I can't believe we've made it this far into the shortstop preview, and we haven't talked about Corey Seager, who's probably my second most drafted shortstop after Marcus Simeon like as a 22 year old he hit 308 with 26 homers 40 doubles and 105 runs scored we were he was a borderline first rounder going into his sophomore season 2017 where he was still very good took a slight step back um yeah I mean people aren't giving him enough benefit of the doubt considering he was coming back from Tommy John surgery last year and the numbers got better as the season went on last September Seager hit 291 with seven home runs a 939 OPS I mean he just caught fire there at the end and I think you look at his uh batted ball, pro- ball, batted ball profile it supports production more like that so like I love I just want us all of this is to say I love Corey Seager too I think he's being super undervalued um I couldn't call him a breakthrough because I feel like that's not giving him credit for what he did earlier in his career. But I, 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 I am agreeing with the overall sentiment. I don't know that we've ever agreed this much, but let's make it three for three because Corey Seager, I think, is a fine breakout sleeper candidate, whatever you want to call him. He's just going too late. He's he's yeah. undervalued. He's, his ADP is 128. So uh, I'm with you guys when it comes to Corey Seager. Let's quickly talk about our bust at the shortstop position. Scott, you now have 30 seconds to talk about your bust at shortstop. I don't even need it because my bust is Fernando Tatis. He's probably my my uh, headliner bust for the entire season at any position. I just think the downside is much greater than his ADP would suggest, and I don't want any shares of him in Roto Leagues if that's the price it's going to cost. I've already explained why. Go back and listen if you forgot. Chris, bust at shortstop. 30 seconds, you're on the clock. Just can you cut a clip from the third base preview? Manny Machado. <laughs> I just, you know, look, we already talked about this yesterday. Uh, but if you haven't listened to it yet, third base preview, go listen to it. Great episode, three charming hosts. But Manny Machado, you basically look at what he's become since he left Camden Yards. It looks a lot like what he was on the road away from Camden Yards when he played for the Orioles. And that was a high 700s to low 800s OPS bat. He's still a tremendously valuable real-life player and a uh, viable fantasy starter. 
but he is not being drafted in viable fantasy starter range. He's being drafted in, you know, he's going to be a star range. And I just don't think he's that guy anymore. Back to ADP rounds 11 through 15. We already spoke about Corey Seager going too late. He's going in round 11. Pick 128 is his ADP round 13. You have Jorge Polanco at 148, Elvis Andrews at 154. And then round 15, you have Ahmed Rosario going at pick 170. Scott, last year Jorge Polanco averaged the same fantasy points per game as Glaber Torres, 3.3 fantasy points per game. Why does Jorge Polanco go so late? Yeah, the thing is, if I didn't have that, already have that sort of righteous anger for Corey Seager going so late, I could have it for Jorge Polanco, which is a, a, a credit to how deep shortstop is. I I would guess it's an upside uh, discussion if we if we want to boil it down to one single thing. I think probably Jorge Polanco last year was as good as it's going to get for him, but like the the profile supports what he did. I don't I don't really fear the downside for Polanco either. He he makes a lot of contact. He hits a lot of line drives. Hits very few ground balls. Uh, he's he's exactly the sort of hitter you want in the in the environment we have now. Doesn't steal any bases, so that limits the upside, especially in roto leagues. But in points leagues, you know he's he's somebody. Even if you don't have room for him at shortstop because those lineups are so small, you could absolutely think about Jorge Polanco as your utility bat. Yeah, Scott, it's fair to say you like him at 148th overall. Jorge Polanco, yeah. Yeah. He did steal 13 bases back in 2017 in only 133 games. So I think we could get a double-digit steal pace out of him. So I I, I did a mock draft yesterday with uh, some fantasy folks. Pitcher list put it together. so, you know, smart contingent of drafters and not going to call, you know, not calling anyone out. It's just how the draft went, and I passed on him too. Jorge Polanco went 193rd overall. I, I mean, he's just the disrespect. He's a guy at shortstop that nobody wants. Um, but, yeah, he it's – and it wasn't a corner infield league, so that sort of explains it. You would have had to draft him as a utility, and, you know, he's a little less interesting there, but – I don't even think he's know. bad as a starting shortstop, Chris. I mean, he's going to hit near the top of maybe he's the best not, lineup in baseball. He's not bad, for sure. Uh, he just, like, a, a run-heavy profile, a run and average-heavy profile is not necessarily the kind of thing that gets people's blood boiling. But uh, those but are actually pesky categories to fill, though. It's just right, right. It's crazy. To he's me. just he's being undervalued. I, I think that's, uh, or overlooked, you know, whichever word you want to use. Someone who might be overlooked as well is Ahmed Rosario, who had a really strong second half where he hit 319. He lowered his strikeout rate from 22% in the first half to 15% in the second half. Uh, good XBA, 291 expected batting average, 94th percentile in sprint speed. Yet I will never draft Ahmed Rosario because I just think he's going to bat near the bottom of the lineup for a majority of the season, maybe the entire season. And I have concerns about his volume, Scott. I. If he he made some changes to get that batting average in the second half that I think robbed him of any chance of hitting for power. Uh, it was you know basically and and putting the ball on the ground a lot more. Um, and how many home runs did he hit in the second half hitting 319? 
I did not have that readily available, but I can get it for you. He had 15 overall. I think only like five of them came in the second half. So, and then as in terms of base deal, yeah, he contributed 19 last year. He contributed 24 the year before, but he was 19 for 29 last well, year. So I mean, this bad. is yeah. He's like, not a good base dealer. He's fast, but he's not a good base dealer. Yeah, so all, 20... I feel like he might just be this batting average specialist who might threaten for like a 10-10 pace, but like that's Gene's. That's like a worse version of Gene Segura, right? And, and yet I acknowledge he's only 24 and there, who knows what ways he could develop from here. But it's just, there's not a lot to give me hope from what Ahmed Rosario has done so far. Round 16 through 18, Paul DeYoung, Gene Segura, Didi Gregorius, and Kevin Newman. Chris, who are you most likely to draft, if anybody, from this group? Uh, depending on the team build, it's either Kevin Newman or Gene Segura. Um, I just don't have a lot of faith in Didi Gregorius outside of Yankee Stadium. Um, I don't know whether that's fair or not, but... Good hitters park in Philly, too. Yeah, but it's not Yankee Yankee Stadium Stadium. for a lefty. Right. Um, But he could be good. I just... I'm hopeful that Gene Segura is going to bounce back to being that, you know, legitimate three-and-a-half category contributor he was before last season. You know, you, you remember back before last season, he was coming off three really good years in a row where he was a really good source of average uh, stolen bases and runs and gave you at least a little bit of pop. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for a bounce back there, and he's a, he's a nice late-round option uh, to, you know, make up some ground in batting average or get a few steals at your corner infield spot. Yeah, um, especially in a roto league, I think he probably excels more there than in a points league. And it's worth mentioning in Joe Girardi's 10 seasons as Yankees manager, they ranked in the top 12 in stolen bases seven times. So seven out of 10 times, top 12 in steals. So uh, could have the green light there for Gene Segura. Scott, how about you? DeYoung, Segura, Gregorius, Newman. Do you target any of these or do you typically wait for Dansby Swanson who goes about 30 to 50 picks later than all these guys? So these guys kind of strike me all as specialists. Uh, DeYoung is clearly the best power threat at this position from this point on. And so if you're trying to make up power specifically, he's the obvious choice to do it. Newman, batting average and some steals. I think he's pretty good bet for both of those. And, and those can be handy, particularly in deeper leagues. Gene Segura is kind of the same way, except I think there's more upside for Segura. So that that would probably be... That's probably how I'd rank him. I'd, I'd probably go DeYoung, Segura, Newman. And I don't know. I'm just not that interested in Gregorius. I don't know how. He doesn't really separate himself in yeah. anything that he does. He just kind of, I would expect a 260 hitter with solid power. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Is we didn't get to see him with the juice ball. That's one thing to consider. You yeah. know? I mean, we did, but he was coming back from Tommy John's surgery and he wasn't himself and wasn't just wasn't very impressive overall. And so you know, where he stands out is power. And the question is, can he turn the high 20s, low 30s power that he had into mid 30s homers with uh, the juice ball? There are two players here I want to talk about, if I can, and kind of contrast them that we haven't mentioned yet. Sure. Elvis, Elvis Andrews and John Birdie. Elvis Andrews, I think, is being targeted pretty high because as, as a steel specialist. He had 31 last year. Uh, he had a combined 30 the previous two years. And, and the 31 he had last year was his first time with 30 or more since 2003. 
I mean, I'm sorry, 2013. So it's been a long time since. He's I was going to say he's been in the league a guy. long time, Scott. And his production otherwise was so front loaded last year. Like he, he was almost he was a virtual nothing with the bat for the final five months. He had 361 with five home runs in April, and then just fell off a cliff with the hitting. So like I don't trust the steals pace. I don't think Elvis Andrews is that good of a hitter. And meanwhile, you have John Birdie of the Marlins who. Should get a lot of playing time as a super utility guy bouncing all over. He, he basically did from the time he got called up last year. He stole 17 bases and 20 chances in half the season's time. So with 30 homer pace, you look at his minor league track record, it supports it. I don't have a lot of confidence in John Birdie's bat either, but those profiles seem very similar to me. And like John Birdie's the versatile guy. Um, you can get him a lot later than Elvis Andrews. So like if you're looking for steel, a steel specialist, because uh, you got burned there earlier, and he has to be able to play shortstop. There's Andrews at 151st overall. There's Birdie at 262nd overall. I lean Birdie there. So I, I don't want to get too bogged down in an Elvis Andrews, John Birdie debate because you know, who cares? Uh, ultimately, <laughs> well, a lot it, of it's people, just people it, who need steals. Come it's on. not going to make or break your team. You know, you could draft both if you want stolen base specialists. It, 151st uh, overall is still high. I mean, that's. I think. I think you're being a little unfair to Elvis Andrews. Like you said, he stole 30 bases combined between 2017 and 2018. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly a fair framing of how it went, though. He stole no. 25. He stole 25 and attempted 35 in 2017. And then he attempted eight in 2018 when he was injured. And then he came back in 2019 and attempted 39. That mostly just tells me that 2018 is the outlier there, not the 2019 is. No, the, the, the 2019 is an outlier too. He hadn't, like I said, he hadn't had a 30 steal season since 2013. He's usually more like a 25 steal guy. Right, but that's, like he attempted 39 steals last season. He attempted 35 in 2017. I just, like 2017, he happened to get caught stealing at a higher rate than normal. Um, but, and last year he happened to get caught at a slightly lower rate than normal. But I just, uh-huh. 31 is not, outside of the range of expectations um it's not enough for me to say like five is clearly the outlier five is his lowest ever by 16 and so i i I think elvis andrews is a good source for steals i think it's fair to question whether he's going to be even an adequate source of anything else um but we're not that far removed from him being a 300 hitter two years in a row too yeah i think the main point for me that scott made was from may on he was bad. A 256 hitter with a 640 OPS for, I mean, a large majority, 120 games last season. That's a huge portion of the season. So, yes, he had a great first month and a half of March and April, but outside of that, uh, Elvis Andrews really was not a great hitter last season. So I do have some skepticism there as well. All right, shortstop. Another deep position done. Our infield position previews are all done. Catcher, first base, second base, shortstop. And third base, all done. Next week, we will have outfield for you. We will have starting pitcher for you as well. So that'll be a lot of fun. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow with a mailbag answering your questions. Bye-bye. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. 
For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.